All right, welcome back, everybody, to The Fix with Ryan Rothstein, episode one, the inaugural, that's how you say it, right? Inaugural? Yeah, sure, sounds good. Episode of The Fix, and I wanted to start things off here with this episode with the sports gambling industry. I'm recording this on a Saturday, March 21st. You know what I should be doing right now? (laughs) Should be... Knee deep in March Madness, round two, 6 p.m. There'd be some great college basketball going on right now. None of us got the opportunity to enjoy March Madness this year. The tournament, as we all know, along with everything else in the sports world, shut down because of COVID-19. How does that impact sports gambling? Here in New Jersey, sports gambling has been a savior for the state, a savior for my neck of the woods, the Atlantic City area. All right, just to put it into perspective, week one, weekend one, opening weekend, that first Thursday to Sunday, which should be right now, as I record this on a Saturday, tournament should have started two days ago. It didn't. All right, to put into perspective what the industry has lost because of the COVID-19, last March in 2019, I want to give you some numbers. The handle for New Jersey. What's a handle, Ryan? Handle is amount wagered. All right, so how much money was wagered last year in New Jersey, both online and retail, in March alone? $372 million, just under $400 million was wagered and gambled in the state of New Jersey March 2019. Newsflash, a huge factor, a huge contributing factor to that number is March Madness. Amongst other things, the NBA is in full effect, gearing up for the playoffs. The NHL is in full effect, gearing up for the playoffs. But March Madness, that's the moneymaker for the sports gambling industry. $400 million has been lost. Probably a little bit more. That was last year in 2019. The way the numbers were, have been trending, you would have to assume that that number would have at least exceeded 400 uh, with it being around 375 in 2019. $30 million in revenue in March 2019. Now, the revenue number isn't that important. I'm just kind of giving you a quick introductory lesson for those of you that don't know or understand the sports gambling world. The revenue is obviously how much money are the books in the states making From the amount wagered. The important number to look at for the industry is the handle. It's always the handle because that's how much money is coming in. There's going to be ebbs and flows just like anything, but especially with gambling, right? Books could get crushed one month. Maybe they have a couple guys that hit a crazy parlay. They have, you know, an insider, a professional better, as they call it, maybe hit them one night or one weekend. That changes the revenue dramatically. So handle is the number you have to look at, but they still made just shy of 32 million last March, 2019. February of this year, February, 2020, $58 million in handle was wagered at the counters. All right. That's the counters alone. 80 to 90% 
of all sports gambling action in New Jersey is actually done mobile. It's done online, on our phones, on the couch with our buddies. It's not done at the brick-and-mortar locations. But last month, in February, there was still $60 million in New Jersey. So that's basically Atlantic City and the location uh, up north at the Meadowlands. That does very well. So there's a big chunk of that, all because of the Meadowlands. But still, Atlantic City, essentially... Let's just call it $60 million in handle. That's in February. That's right before the COVID-19 and this pandemic and the the shutdown of what's becoming the United States, not just your individual state. What does that mean? How does the sports gambling industry now bounce back from this? What, What is the industry doing to stay afloat, to still generate traffic and get you and your friends to log on to the mobile app wherever you may be betting through any company to make bets. There's nothing to bet on. What is there to bet on? And they're trying to come up with fun, creative ways to still get people to make bets. Right? There's Turkish soccer leagues, Russian soccer leagues going on, Russian hockey. There's some things like that, but you look at the numbers... And it's not generating the volume or the traffic that it should be generating. And it's just really unfortunate, uh, not just because of the impact on sports gambling. It's a scary situation as we're all still learning. But it's really impacted the sports world and the gambling world, which is still so very new to all of us. Are you gambling out there? Are you still gambling with all these sports being shut down? I don't think you are. I have some degenerate friends betting, you know, random soccer league games, Russian hockey. But for the most part, you're not going to get the handle of $400 million. You're not going to get sold out sports books all throughout Atlantic City and up at the Meadowlands, wherever you may be. The pandemic and its impact on the sports gambling world has been absolutely massive. Where do you go from here? One gentleman got a little bit creative. Even before the pandemic started, Jesse Rowe is his name. He created a site and an app. The site's called Bet on Weather. Betonweather.io. Man. I mean, I know some wiffle ball games around the corner we can get some action on, too. Just give me a holler. I'll give you the lines, the spreads, everything. We're betting on weather now, people. Are you kidding me? But that's what the legalization of sports gambling has done. It's brought it out of the shadows, out of the darkness, and it's become such a... It's become normalized. And Jesse Rowe here saw an opportunity. In February, he created this site, betonweather.io, to do exactly that. What's the weather going to be like in Atlantic City next week? Over, under, 70 degrees. What's the weather going to be like in Costa Rica next week? Over, under, 68 degrees. I'm just giving you examples. He launched in early February, and Jesse was averaging 10,000 visitors a week. This past week, March 16th to the 20th, Monday to Friday, he had 100,000 visitors in one week. 
In one week, people, 100,000 people, after averaging about 10,000 a week, 100,000 decided to go to the Bet on Weather website to do exactly that. I got the over in Cali, baby. It's a lock. <laughs> All jokes aside, though, where does the industry go from here? Is it, is it going to truly be capable of growing into things of this nature? No pun intended. Are we going to be able to log on to our sportsbooks mobile apps and make bets on the weather? Are we going to be able to make bets on whatever else? FanDuel, DraftKings during the pandemic so far. They had bets for the Democrat, uh, the Democratic presidential debates last week, I believe it was. Which candidate would be the first to bring up the coronavirus and the COVID-19 over-unders on how many times each candidate would reference the COVID-19 on FanDuel. Last week, you can bet on Survivor, the TV show. Is this where we're going to see the gambling world shift to? And I don't mean shift, meaning shift away from sports gambling. No, that's not going anywhere. But is the reach going to grow to everything we do, any product we consume, are we going to be able to make a bet on it? Jesse Rowe of Bet on Weather says yes. It's a crazy time right now with the pandemic. Everyone stay safe out there. The impact on the sports gambling world was something that I had to mention and bring up. $400 million in handle, March 2019, essentially lost this year. Coming up on the other side, we're going to discuss Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. Malcolm Jenkins, the Philadelphia Eagles leader, leaving Philadelphia and going back to New Orleans. And I bring up those two names because I want to get into this. When is it the right time for organizations to let those type of players, those type of leaders for your franchise walk? We're going to get into that next. Tom Brady, not in New England. When I mention New England, When I say New England Patriots, what is the first thing that you think of? It's Tom Brady. All right, an acceptable answer would be Bill Belichick. But Tom Brady and the New England Patriots for the past 20 years go hand in hand. It's like spaghetti and meatball. Not anymore. Tom Brady decided to take his talents to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of all locations, of all organizations. Why Tampa Bay? Why not Tampa Bay, right? I said this on the air on 97.3 ESPN for weeks and weeks since the most recent NFL season came to a close. Why wouldn't Tom Brady leave New England? And here are the answers that you typically get when you pose that question. He's playing for the greatest coach of all time. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are the player-coach duo in the history of sports. No quarterback, no 
no player, no quarterback has ever won six Super Bowl rings. Tom Brady, six Super Bowl rings. The Patriot way. He decides to leave that way and head down to Tampa Bay for an organization that has had only one winning season in the past decade. For an organization that has not qualified for the postseason since 2007. The Bucs have not won a playoff game since the 2002 season. That was the year, Eagles fans will remember, that Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl. But that's it. You look at the past 20 years of this Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise, not very comparable to the New England Patriots franchise. And you hear this question thrown out a lot. Or this statement thrown out a lot. Well, Tampa Bay, this is just a money grab. Why would you sign a 40-year-old quarterback? Not 40. Tom Brady's going to turn 43 this August. It just signifies the lack of, of focus and game plan and culture for losing organizations. Why would an organization go spend $50 million on a two-year contract for a quarterback that's going to be 43 years old when you start week one, hopefully, of the 2020 NFL season? And I look at it the complete opposite way of how those people are looking at it. And I, I, I bring up an NBA example. I bring up the Toronto Raptors and Kawhi Leonard. That's an organization that had the coach of the year, Dwayne Casey, in his final season for the Raptors, after that year, they fire uh, Casey, who ends up being announced as the coach of the year for the NBA. They have multiple 50-win seasons. They have a star that absolutely loves their small market city in DeMar DeRozan. They have a second star, although some people debate it, but Kyle Lowry's an all-star. He's a guy that was viewed as the two in the one-two punch of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. They had some nice young pieces. And they were expected to take down LeBron. They were expected to eventually come out of the Eastern Conference and be an elite team and organization in the NBA for years to come. What did they decide to do? Flip everything on its head. Enter the Kawhi sweepstakes win the Kawhi sweepstakes, ship off that star that they have in DeMar DeRozan who loves their small market, don't care. They risk it all. They go all in for Kawhi Leonard on one of the most historic rental plans in sports history. And what happens? Kawhi Leonard puts Toronto on the map. He brings guys like Fred Van Vliet, who no one heard of, Pascal Siakam, who was young and no one heard of, similar to Van Vliet. They add Gasol, who people, including myself, questioned at the time. You have an aging Gasol. Where does he fit in this roster? You bring in some pieces. You let Kawhi run the show. You give him the keys to the city, the franchise, 
and the team there, the offense. And he leads the Toronto Raptors to not just the NBA Finals and an appearance, but winning an NBA title, bringing the Larry O'Brien Trophy to the city of the uh, the city of Toronto and the Toronto Raptors. They went all in. They risked they risked it all. Excuse me. They risked it all, and it paid off. All right. And when I bring up the Toronto Raptors, I'm not insinuating that. Well, if you risk it all and you bring someone in on a short plan, or you know, you know, it's not a long term move. That's what's going to happen. No. But the benefits of bringing in Tom Brady for a franchise that, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, hasn't won in decades. The last playoff game was in 2007, 13 years ago. A franchise that went all in on a guy named Jameis Winston the same guy that threw 30 interceptions in one season, which was the most recent season. So you have a losing franchise. You have a franchise that in 2019 ranked 31st in home attendance. I would imagine that's going to change now that you have Tom Brady under center. I would imagine that the national attention is going to be all on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a franchise that's not not used to getting any attention, especially on a national level, especially to the magnitude that a team with Tom Brady typically receives. And because of how everything transpired, because it's Tom Brady, six Super Bowl rings, a New England Patriot in his blood decides to walk away and go down to Tampa a losing franchise, a franchise that doesn't have that fan base that shows up. And I'm not 100% knocking them. Team hasn't won. He shocks the world, essentially. He decides to get paid. Let's remember, these people are human too, all right? He's, He's taken less money to make sure the Patriots have fell under the cap to go get the necessary tools to gear up for those Super Bowl runs that they've been making essentially every year for the past two decades. He's been the ultimate teammate, the ultimate face of a franchise, an all-time great. Well, for the first time in his life, he decided to get wooed, decided to get dined. And the thought of playing under a different head coach in a different city with that paycheck that you can cash out, not that he's short of money, all that stuff intrigued him, clearly. And it doesn't mean that Tom Brady doesn't care about winning, for those of you out there that think that that's the case. Because he decides to go down to Tampa Bay with a losing franchise. No, he sees a head coach in Bruce Arians that's much different in Bill Belichick. Similar in some ways, concept-based. Tampa Bay likes to throw the ball down the field. I'm sure Bruce Arians is going to sit down with Tom Brady and incorporate a playbook that Brady wants to get behind and that you know Brady can see himself thriving in. 
But it's a different situation. It's a different coach. For the first time in Brady's very long career, he's going to be playing for someone other than Belichick with a $50 million two-year contract with another $9 million in incentives. Don't tell me that he didn't want to maybe prove that he could win without Bill Belichick. Don't tell me that Tom Brady didn't want to get paid and experience that free agent life as one of the most transcendent sports figures of all time. He clearly did, and that's exactly what he did. And on the flip side of things, I love the move by Tampa Bay. You have a quarterback that I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, and Jameis Winston, that you were all in for. He has not worked out. You have not made the playoffs in 13 years. You're dead last in attendance. And now what this move does, it puts your franchise on the map. It puts your franchise merchandise-wise at the top of that list. And the benefits are going to be, they're not just short-term. Right? Brady isn't going to be around for a long time. That's okay. Now what this does is for the next two years, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be essentially the focus for the NFL. Whether they succeed or fail, they're both equally intriguing stories. And that allows this organization in Tampa Bay to gear up for a a new era. That's exactly what the Toronto Raptors did. Yes, the Toronto Raptors were good with Chris Bosh before he went down to Miami with LeBron and D-Wade. Yes, the Toronto Raptors were good very recently in the DeMar DeRozan era, but they weren't in the national spotlight how they are now, even post-Kawhi Leonard. When you acquire a star of that magnitude, it can change your franchise for a long period of time, even with that athlete's presence being very short-lived in that city with that same said franchise. Toronto is now in the limelight. They now have young stars. They now have Pasquale Siakam. They now have Van Vliet, who is shining and balling out. And you have to credit a lot of their growth to that deep playoff run that Kawhi Leonard essentially led them on. Playing alongside someone like that changes an athlete. It changes a culture. It changes a franchise. We just saw it in Toronto. And we're going to see it again in Tampa Bay. The LeBron James effect. Players are now going to want to go to Tampa Bay and take deals, take pay cuts to go down there and be in that national limelight and play in front of sold-out arenas in perfect weather eight times a season. All right, yeah, there isn't a ton left in the free agent market. The offensive line in Tampa Bay we know is not great. They need to figure out additions at right tackle. They need to you know, hopefully add a running back. They have the 14th pick of the draft, and once that June 1st cut deadline pops up, they're going to be able to add. They can go get that right tackle with the 14th overall pick. They can go get some free agents, and they're going to be able to get guys 
those same free agents that can maybe take a, a pay cut. Tampa used the franchise tag on Shaquille uh, Barrett. They've re-signed JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul. They still need to replace uh, Sue. But the Bucks, all of a sudden, you wake up after Brady decides to take his talents there. The Bucks now are one of the most appealing franchises in all of sports. If you're a free agent or if you're a guy that wants to change, why wouldn't you go to Tampa Bay? Why wouldn't you want to go chill down in Tampa Bay, Florida, income tax-free? And sit alongside Tom Brady every day and bring that Patriot culture down there to that losing culture with a, a Tom Brady twist. Tom Brady now has the keys to Tampa Bay. It's not Bruce Arians, right? In New England, it was Bill Belichick's show. Bill Belichick was the dictator and leader there. Rightfully so. Tom Brady obviously had a lot of responsibility and was a huge part as a leader in that locker room. But it was the Bill Belichick show. Now it's the Tom Brady show featuring Bruce Arians down in Tampa Bay. They have some great weapons that he can throw to. If they can add one or two more pieces, even if they don't, that's an exciting time to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. And now the franchise is able to figure out a long-term plan long after Tom Brady leaves. And that plan is going to look much different than it would have if they were never able to land Tom Brady, if they never entered the Tom Brady sweepstakes. It is a win by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization, and it is a win by Tom Brady and anyone else that decides to rock a Buccaneers uniform in the next two years and potentially down the road. The Philadelphia Eagles have been active. Malcolm Jenkins going back down to New Orleans, the leader, seen as the leader and the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles locker room. What are my thoughts on that move? I'll tell you right here next. Malcolm Jenkins, the leader, the glue that seemingly kept the Philadelphia Eagles locker room together or the glue that was needed when things fell apart, which feels like every year for maybe the past three seasons for the Philadelphia Eagles, Jenkins was exactly that. Malcolm Jenkins is a guy that, yes, getting older, 32 going on 33. He hasn't missed a game. Right? 96 games for the Philadelphia Eagles. He started all 96. It's pretty darn impressive. He's not just a guy for the Philadelphia Eagles. Malcolm Jenkins is the guy that we all pointed to when things felt like they were going amok. When the Eagles were 5-7 and seven after the loss to the Miami Dolphins most recently, Malcolm Jenkins was the guy that redirected that ship. Malcolm Jenkins is the guy every year, the leader of the Super Bowl team, the leader the year after in 2018, the leader the most recent season after going 5-7 and seven with all the injuries that that team sustained 
Malcolm Jenkins felt like the only constant. And after talking to him down at Radio Row in Miami, he's just a real dude. He's just a guy that gets Philadelphia, that understands it's a 53-man locker room and it's never easy. And he's willing to be the guy that not everyone likes, which is being a leader. Uh, And he's a fan favorite, and he's a guy that I would say most fans didn't want to see leave. Maybe some fans, a very small percentage, understood potentially why Malcolm would leave. But here we are, Malcolm Jenkins going back to the Saints. And here's my reaction. I like the move. I'm fine with Malcolm not coming back. Would I have liked to see Malcolm... Jenkins return in an Eagles uniform? Absolutely. But there's one thing that Howie Roseman said a little while back about getting younger. And not just getting younger. That's something we all focused on since that day, that press conference. But another piece from that day from Howie Roseman is how he's built the Philadelphia Eagles roster especially since winning the Super Bowl. He's built it, admitting this himself, he's built this with a very short-sighted view. He hasn't built the Philadelphia Eagles with five years down the road in mind, with three years down the road in mind. Ever since that 2017 Super Bowl team, where you have Nick Foles Winning Super Bowl MVP, you say, okay, the quarterback, our quarterback went down, our franchise young quarterback in Carson Wentz. We have a lot of older pieces to this puzzle that are coming back. Let's try and now do the same thing with our actual quarterback. Not many teams, as we all know in history, ever had the opportunity to do that. It was such a rare and unique and weird situation that it must have been really challenging for Howie Roseman to figure out how to navigate those off-seasons, those trade deadlines, those drafts in 18 and 19 after winning the Super Bowl. And that's exactly what Howie Roseman came out and said. Listen, the Philadelphia Eagles are an old team. In 2019... They're one of the oldest in the league. 12 of the Eagles' 22 Week 1 starters were 29 or older. Only four were 25 or younger. All right, that's not a recipe for long-term success. If you're the general manager of an NFL team, you look at that and you say, okay, this is what we've done since winning the Super Bowl. This is what our roster consists of. A lot of guys that have meant a lot to this team in recent years. But at some point, you have to transition to a new era. At some point, you're going to have new blood on your team. And at some point, it's going to come down to the general manager having to make a tough decision. Right? If Howie brings back Malcolm Jenkins, and all of a sudden he finally becomes human and he gets an injury, and he misses six games this year, he misses eight games the next, 
I guarantee you, all of you out there would be saying, well, you, re- you brought this guy back at 32. The best organizations know when to move on. And that's exactly that. When do you know to move on? You really don't. You just have to assess your, your situation at that time, assess the player, assess the direction that you want to move your organization towards, and go with it. You're not going to be right 100% of the time. But I'm not going to look at this move as a, as a wait and see. If Malcolm Jenkins makes the Pro Bowl and starts all 16 games and the Saints and Drew Brees go to the Super Bowl or the title game, I'm not going to look at this and shake my head at Howie. For the first time in, a, in recent history, I'll say, Howie Roseman has operated this offseason with the a long-term endgame in mind, with a five-year type of plan in mind. And you have to respect him coming out and saying that, being transparent about it, and sticking to his guns. You now have a Philadelphia Eagles roster. They're not the youngest in the world. I don't know where they rank. I just you know gave you the stat of 12 of 22 or 29 or older. I don't know exactly where they stand now. I don't think it's drastically different, but they're moving in that direction with Jason Peters and now Malcolm uh, departing the organization. Howie is a cap genius. He's kicked the can down the road, so to speak, with how he handles the salary cap for the team. He pushes money down the road where salaries will impact the team and the cap later on. And at some point, that later on becomes now. And then at some point, you'll look at contracts and say, oh, man, this is really impacting us. Yeah, but if Howie didn't do that, then moves A, B, and C may have never happened. Such as the Eagles bringing in Malik Jackson, who we didn't really get to see at all. But that's a big move. Bringing in Deshaun Jackson, reuniting him in Philadelphia. Right? There's moves that the Eagles have made because of Howie placing money in certain years and and handling the cap in a very intelligent and tactical sense. But those days come eventually, and I think you look at the Alshon Jeffrey deal, that's a horrible deal, but it's impacted this team. D-Day was eventually going to come with that contract, and that's now. But the Eagles still have key players core foundation players and Fletcher Cox and Lane Johnson and Zach Ertz and Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey's still an Eagle. I know he's not the youngest guy in the world. Dallas Goddard, Boston Scott. I'm sure he's going to have a role in a, in a running back committee approach like always for Doug. But you have core pieces now for the Eagles that you feel confident in. And I think my point is with that, Howie may have been okay with, you know what, worst case scenario, we take a little bit of a step back here this this season coming up on defense when you lose a guy like Malcolm Jenkins. That's just the reality. But Malcolm wanted another three or four years. Not at a cheap rate, I remind you. So would it have been really nice to see Malcolm Jenkins back in a Philadelphia Eagles uniform for at least one more season? Absolutely. But those are the tough decisions that general managers have to make. And you bring back Jalen Mills, and he's going to play some safety. You bring back Rodney McLeod, who had a very good year. 
and you bring in Darius Slay. And that's the one thing that I think you could come back at me with and say, well, you talk about getting younger. Darius Slay coming off some hamstring issues, 29 years old. I get it. Darius Slay is, Darius Slays aren't just at the local market. He's an elite talent at corner. You now have a cornerstone piece at corner where he's one, two, or three at his position in the league. So how he's still being aggressive, he's still picking his spots, all while keeping the mindset of building a roster and an organization with a long-term mindset. Some of them are risk moves. Some of them may backfire in your mind. (laughs) It's not an easy job. And I look at the Malcolm Jenkins decision, and I, I completely understand it, and I think it's a good move by Howie, and he stick to what he said that day at that press conference where he wants to get younger and he's going to retool this organization with a different mindset this offseason for the first time in the past couple offseasons. Eagles have stayed busy. Darius Slay's a name. Malcolm Jenkins leaving is a big deal. And I'm sure a lot more is still to come for the Philadelphia Eagles, Howie Roseman, Doug, and this front office. That's episode one of The Fix with Ryan Rothstein. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It's only going to grow and get better as I figure out segment ideas, guests. All right, there's going to be a lot of, of fun, entertaining, and educated guests that I will have on The Fix. A lot of guys that we speak to at 97.3 ESPN on the Sports Bash Journalists, team insiders, Eagles insiders, Sixers insiders, sports gambling insiders. A lot of contacts that I've made from working at DraftKings. A lot of fun and, and you know different types of stuff. And, and this podcast is only going to grow. And it's only going to be able to do that with the help from you. So thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Like I said, to start the episode, please, please. I'm not begging, but just saying. <laughs> Like, subscribe, rate, review, spread the word on The Fix with Ryan Rothstein. All right, guys, stay safe, wash your hands, social distancing, keep the tape measure handy, make sure you're six feet from the nearest person, and enjoy. This has been The Fix. Peace.